Morning, my name is Jeff. It's my privilege to look with you at Daniel chapter 7 now. We're going to read the whole chapter. I encourage you to have a Bible in front of you so that we can look at it together and uh, think about what it means for us, what it meant for its original readers, what it means for us. Let's ask God to help us. Let's pray. A gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, do please help us now to understand this really important passage, um, this passage that Jesus thought was so important. Help us to understand it and help us to... Uh, respond rightly to your sovereign control and the eternal rule of the Son of Man. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I think it is getting more difficult in our culture to be a bold Christian, to to, to stand up and to stand out for Jesus. Uh, Certainly in the media, there is an increasing intolerance for Christianity and for people who believe the Bible. I appreciate that for many of us, we, we find it uncomfortable. We find it uncomfortable at, at, at school or at university or at work. We find it uncomfortable and, and so we stay silent. Sadly, and this has happened in numerous cases in our church, there are people who've given up being Christians because it's just so unpopular. It is getting more difficult. But the reality is compared to the vast majority of people in the world and the vast majority of people through history, we actually have it pretty easy. There are many places in the world where Christians have it way worse than us. One of the worst places in the world at the moment is North Korea. Let me quote from the website of the organisation Open Doors. The government ruled by the Kim family views Christians as the most dangerous political class of people and persecution is violent and intense. Anyone caught following Jesus risks imprisonment, torture, and death. And estimated 50,000 to 70,000 Christians are imprisoned today in North Korea. This was written in 2020. 50,000 to 70,000 Christians imprisoned in North Korea. And when a Christian is sentenced, often their entire families are sent to labor camps too, where they're often subjected to brutal torture. Well, listen to this story about one particular incident from the same website. North Korean authorities have staged a massive sweep against underground Christians, a secret source recently shared. The raid happened while several dozen Christians were gathering for a meeting. They were about to begin worshipping when security cards broke in, then arrested and executed everyone present. Along with the believers present at the meeting, sources say that authorities may have already taken their families to political prisons. Over 100 people have been affected by this targeted attack against the North Korean church. In 2020, there was also a report, a report written by 120... It was based on the um, stories told by 120 North Korean Christians who had escaped from North Korea into China. And 120 of them told the stories of what they had seen and heard in North Korea. One defector who'd been imprisoned pictured, uh, pictured the, the cage that he'd been imprisoned in. Not a lot of space there, is there? Can you imagine what it must be like to be a Christian in those kinds of circumstances? Imagine if government forces came in here today, round us up, torture us till they work out who our families are, execute the lot of us, and then find our families, put them in prison camps and torture them just in case they've been infected by our Christianity. Imagine trying to be a Christian under that kind of pressure. 
Now, the Open Doors website puts it this way. Life for every Christian in North Korea is a constant cauldron of pressure. Capture or death is only one mistake away. That's the world we live in. So what are we to make of that? Is God in control in North Korea? Has God lost control in North Korea? Now, that is the sort of question that the Jews were asking at the time of Daniel. Now, they had been conquered and defeated by the Babylonian Empire. Hundreds of thousands of them had been slaughtered. The rest of them have been taken into exile, away from the promised land, to be slaves in Babylon. And then even after the Babylonian Empire fell, the Jews were still not free. They suffered under one cruel empire after another. No wonder then, they were asking questions about God. Have we chosen the right God? Has God lost control? Is he weaker than the Babylonian gods and the Persian gods? Is, is, is this the way things are always going to be? Well, the first thing to notice as we come into Daniel chapter 7 is that we jump back in time. Does anyone remember who the king was in last week's talk? Remember um, uh, Matt gave the talk. It was about Daniel in the lion's den. Can you remember who the king was that threw him into the lion's den? It was a guy called Darius. Darius. <laughs> We're getting there. Um, uh, so it's Darius. And can anybody remember what kind of a king is he? Where's he from? He's a... He's a, Mede, he's a Persian. He's, he's actually a Mede, but he's part of the Medo-Persian Empire. Okay. Previous to him, there was a guy we met because there was writing on the wall, and his name was Belshazzar. Thank you very much. <laughs> his name was Belshazzar. We saw the end of his. We saw the end of his uh, reign when the writing was on the wall. But now, in this dream, we're jumping back in time to the beginning of his reign. Okay, so we're back in the Babylonian Empire at the beginning of the last emperor's reign and Daniel has a dream. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 1. Have a look with me. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and the visions passed through his mind as he was lying in bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Interesting, isn't it? Where does this book come from? It's obviously put together after the, uh, the Babylonian Empire, because it keeps going right through, but it, it come, it's written down by Daniel to start with. Daniel now tells us the dream. He sees four beasts coming out of a, a kind of a, a, a stormy sea. The stormy sea is meant to re- represent chaos and fear. Now, verse 2, Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. The Jewish people are not surfers. The sea is meant to be scary and horrible. Don't think big waves. Think scary, scary, bad. Okay, four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up out of the sea. Uh, we've had some very vivid pictures of what these beasts might be like from our kids' talk earlier on. Uh, but the first beast, powerful and dangerous like a lion. The king of the beasts. He's regal and fast like an eagle, the king of the birds. But then interestingly in this vision, the wings are taken off and he stands up and he's given the mind of a man. What's this talking about? Verse 4. The first was like a lion and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off 
and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a human being. And the mind of a human was given to it. What's going on there? I reckon that sounds a lot like Nebuchadnezzar back in chapter 4. Don't you? Remember Nebuchadnezzar? He's this beastly king who rejects God. Look at me and my Babylon. But then God humbles him, becomes crazy, until he acknowledges that God is God, that God is the king, until he's given a human mind. That gives us a clue about what this dream's all about. What are they, why are they beasts? They're beasts not just because they're scary, but because they refuse to acknowledge God. They're beasts who refuse to acknowledge the God who has made them. Next beast. Next beast is also powerful and scary. Like a bear that's been hunting and killing. This is not a teddy bear. Okay? I don't know if anybody's watched the Alone series. Um, <laughs> Like, this is a scary bear, okay? This is a bear that will eat you. Um, and uh, it's been hunting and killing, and that's what it's instructed to keep on doing. Verse 5. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. A third beast, also strong and fast, like a leopard uh, with the wings of a bird. It's got four heads, so it can see in every direction. You can't get away from it. And, and it is allowed, it's allowed to rule, verse 6. After that, I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a leopard. And on its back, it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. And then the fourth beast is even more terrifying and powerful than the first three. It's often pictures like a dragon, and we had a dragon out the front here. To me, to me I, I picture more of like a transformer, okay? It's big, strong robot that stomps on everything that comes anywhere near with these powerful horns. The horns symbolise power and strength. It's incredibly strong, but it's, it's divided with the horns fighting among themselves. Verse 7. After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. While I was thinking about the horns, there before me was another horn, a little one, which came up among them, and three of the first horns were uprooted before it. This horn had eyes, like the eyes of a human being, and a mouth that spoke boastfully. Scary dream, four terrifying beasts ruling this world and crushing and destroying anyone who opposes them. And like beasts, ignoring and rejecting God. But these beasts don't go on forever. Because in the next scene in the dream, God takes his throne ready to judge. Verse 9. As I looked, thrones were set in place. And the Ancient of Days, that's God, took his seat. His clothing was white as snow. The hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. And God begins his judgment. 
He takes the power away from the beasts. He, he, he destroys the fourth beast. Verse 11. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. The beasts have their authority taken away and then another character appears on the scene. But this character is not a beast. This character is not scary. This character is human. In context, here is someone who does accept, acknowledge, worship God. But this son of man is no ordinary human. Uh, Like God, he comes on the clouds of heaven. He approaches God and God gives him an eternal, indestructible, everlasting kingdom. Everyone has to worship this man. Verse 13. In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man. Not a beast. One like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Well, scary dream and Daniel's worried. He wants to know what is going on. And so he asks a nearby heavenly observer who happens to be there, as, as you do, you chat to observers in heaven, I guess. Um, the beast, the observer tells him, tells him what's going on. The beasts represent four earthly kings or four earthly kingdoms that will rule for a while. But God's people will ultimately receive a kingdom that will go on forever. Verse 15. 15. I, Daniel, was troubled in spirit and the visions that passed through my mind disturbed me. I I approached one of those standing there and asked him the meaning of all this. So he told me and gave me the interpretation of these things. The four great beasts are four kings that will rise from the earth. But the holy people of the Most High will receive the kingdom and will possess it forever. Yes, forever and ever. Daniel wants to know more. Specifically, he wants to know more about that terrible, terrifying, scary final beast because it seems to be causing so much trouble for God's people. God's people seem to be defeated before this beast. Verse 19. Then I wanted to know the meaning of the fourth beast, which was different from all the others and most terrifying with its iron teeth and bronze claws, the beast that crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. I also wanted to know about the ten horns on its head and about the other horn that came up before which three of them fell, the horn that looked more imposing than the others that had eyes and a mouth that spoke boastfully. As I watched, this horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favour of the holy people of the Most High and the time came when they possessed the kingdom. And so the observer gives Daniel an explanation but it doesn't give much away. I take it we don't need to know exactly who all these horns and beasts are otherwise the observer would have given the explanation but we do know this beast is a kingdom powerful but divided. It will cause suffering and trouble for God's people. will defeat God's people but only for a time. Verse 23. He gave me this explanation. 
The fourth beast is a fourth kingdom that will appear on earth. It will be different from all the other kingdoms and will devour the whole earth, trampling it down and crushing it. The ten horns are ten kings who will come from this kingdom. After them, another king will arise, different from the earlier ones. He will subdue three kings. He will speak against the Most High and oppress his holy people and try to change the set times and the laws. The holy people will be delivered into his hand for a time, times, and half a time. God's people will suffer terribly for a time that has been set and limited by God. But meanwhile, judgment is coming and God has an eternal kingdom for his people. Verse 26. But the court will sit and his power will be taken away and completely destroyed forever. Then the sovereignty, power and greatness of all the kingdoms under heaven will be handed over to the holy people of the Most High. His kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all rulers will worship and obey him. And that's the end of Daniel's rather scary dream. Verse 28, this is the end of the matter. I, Daniel, was deeply troubled by my thoughts and my face turned pale, but I kept the matter to myself. All right, can you see what's here in Daniel chapter 7? It's a bit kind of like dreams. It's a bit spooky and, uh, and crazy. But, but I think the big idea is pretty clear, isn't it? You've got four scary beasts that represent kingdoms that rule the world but ignore God. They rule for a time. They oppose, they attack, they even defeat God's people for a time. But judgment is coming. The days of these kingdoms are numbered because God will judge and he will destroy every kingdom that opposes him and a truly human ruler is coming. God will give this son of man an eternal kingdom and God's people will live forever in this kingdom. All right. Well, let's think about what this passage might mean to us today. As, as a lot of people look at this passage, um, a lot of people spend a lot of time trying to work out exactly what each beast represents and what each horn represents and who, who is it. And uh, some people, uh, some people, they locate this, this dream in the context of Daniel and in ancient history. And they say, for example, beast number one is Babylon, beast number two is Persia, beast number three is Greece, beast number four is Rome. Could well be something to this. Probably something to this. But other people try to locate the beasts in our contemporary world. They might say, for example, that the beasts represent Nazi Germany or Russia or China or something like that. And this is going to sound weird coming from me, but there may also be something to this. I'm also inclined to throw away the tracks that tell me that, you know, Iraq is the latest beast and attack helicopters are coming and Jesus is returning or something like that. I'm not inclined to read those kinds of, of pamphlets, but there, there may be something to this. Just have a look at this, what this one commentator says. I think it's really helpful. It is striking. It's a guy called Andy Gould. Uh, it is striking that the superpowers of our own age still customarily represent themselves by predatory animals, such as the Russian bear, the Chinese dragon, and the American eagle. The, the beast's 
of the present world order may change their shape as the centuries pass, but their violence and lust for power continues. This continual presence of the beasts in our world ought not to surprise us because every human manifestation of evil is simply a reflection of the work of the great dragon, Satan himself. Unlike chapter 8, which we'll see next week, the beasts are not specifically identified in this vision. And so I guess that means their identity is not the important thing to understand the dream. The important thing is this. Whatever these beastly human kingdoms are, their time is limited. God is allowing them to stand for a time. Not because it's out of his control, but because it is part of his sovereign plan. God is allowing his people to suffer for a time. Not because it's out of his control, but because it's part of his plan. God is allowing the beasts of this world to rise, but their time will come to an end. That would have been a comfort, I reckon, for a Jew reading Daniel for the first time, suffering under the Medo-Persian Empire, don't you reckon? As, as they lived under the oppression of beastly empires, Persia, Greece, Rome, uh, Daniel's dream would have reminded them, God hasn't lost control. Those powers that oppress and persecute them, they will have to stand before God and give account. And the day was coming when God would raise up a true king a king who would rule with God's people in an eternal kingdom. I reckon that would have been a comfort for a Jew reading this passage in 300 BC or something like that. It would have been an encouragement to, to press on, fear God, not man, keep going. And for us as Christians, well, I reckon this dream should be even more of a comfort because we know how it's being fulfilled, don't we? Remember last year, in, uh, as, we, as we went through Luke's gospel together, the most common way that Jesus referred to himself was as son of man. In Jesus' mind, this is one of the most important passages in the Bible for understanding who he is. Let, let me show you one really, really important example from Luke's gospel. Uh, do you remember uh, from Luke... Uh, Jesus has been, he's prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, he's been arrested, all of his disciples have run away, and then he's brought before the authorities, he's on trial, and he's challenged by the religious authorities. They say to him, are you the Christ? And Jesus says this, he says, from now on, the Son of Man will be seated at the right hand of the Almighty God. He's actually got two Bible passages there. Son of man is Daniel 7, what we've just read. Right hand of God is Psalm 110. Uh, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Just, just picture this for a moment. Picture the scene. Jesus is in chains. He's, he's been arrested. His army, so-called, have run away. He's on trial. He is weak. He is helpless, he is defeated, and the very next morning he will be nailed in shame and agony to a cross and die. And what does he say to the court who are trying him, who have all this power over him? 
I am the Son of Man. All authority in heaven and on earth is mine. And you will worship me or you will be my enemy and be a footstool for my feet. Can you see how utterly crazy that is to say in context? What a ridiculous thing for a defeated, weak, pathetic Jew standing before a court to say. How utterly crazy until God raises him from the dead. Until God seats him at his own right hand. Friends, Daniel 7 is fulfilled in Jesus. The Son of Man has come into the presence of God. He has received all authority in heaven and on earth. And now knee after knee after knee in nation after nation after nation is bowing down before him. The the days of those who oppose God and his people are numbered. The day will soon come when Jesus returns and every knee bows and every tongue confesses that he is Lord. The day will soon come when God will set all things right and judge all people. The day will soon come when those who are saved through the death and resurrection of Jesus will be able to inherit his eternal kingdom. So friends, how should we respond to Daniel chapter 7? How should we respond to this dream and to Jesus' fulfilment of the dream? That uh, 2020 report uh, that I was talking about, you know, the, the North Korean Christians who escaped from North Korea got to China, 120 of them, gave a report on what had been happening and what they'd seen. Uh, one of them told a story of a, a lady that he'd, uh, that he'd been in jail with. Uh, she'd been in a North Korean prison camp for four years. She'd endured sexual assault, beatings and torture constantly. And she'd just been told that she was about to be executed. The man who gave the report with her said to her, aren't you afraid? Don't you think you should just give up and worship Kim Jong-un? But she answered him in the words of 2 Corinthians. She said, Our light and momentary afflictions are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Our light and momentary afflictions are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. How do you think you'd go if that were you? Would you be willing to suffer and die for Jesus like that? Friends, I know it's getting a little bit uncomfortable in our culture to be a Christian. Perhaps not as uncomfortable as the media would have us think. Perhaps it's getting a bit uncomfortable, but seriously, what is the worst that would happen to you if you were a bold Christian in your life? Honestly, seriously, what's the worst that would happen? People might think badly of you. You might get called intolerant. Maybe you won't be able to run a Victorian football club. I guess it's possible down the track you could lose your job or lose respect or lose your friends. Don't get me wrong, it all feels bad when it happens, doesn't it? It feels like the end of the world when it happens. No, it's not pleasant. But seriously, it's pretty light and momentary, isn't it? And yet most of us 
have been silenced. We keep our heads down and we stay out of trouble. Is that you? Have you been silenced? Do, do people even know that you're a Christian? Do you boldly stand up and stand out for Jesus? Friends, we need to keep asking ourselves, is Jesus the Son of Man? Is he seated at the right hand of God as the judge and king of the universe? Is he ruling an eternal kingdom? Is Daniel's dream true? Is it true that the kingdoms of this world will fall, but Jesus' kingdom will never end? Is it true what Jesus says, don't fear those who have power only to kill the body, fear him who has power to kill both body and soul in hell? Do you believe that? Do you believe that any suffering we might have is light and momentary compared to the glory that will be revealed? Far outweighing. Do you believe in Jesus we have an eternal glory that far outweighs any possible suffering? I believe it. Don't you? I keep asking God to help me with my unbelief, as well as my fear, as well as my desperate desire to have a comfortable life where everybody likes me. I need God's help. But I do believe it. Romantically, I feel like, you know, I am willing to die for Jesus. Lock me up in that cage. I'll stick with Jesus anyway. But it's just that day by day, feeling like an idiot. What should we do, friends, in light of Daniel chapter 7? Keep looking to the Son of Man. Keep remembering which kingdoms will fall and which kingdom will stand. Stick with Jesus because he's coming back and we'll see that it is worth it. Let's pray. Gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that you have established a kingdom that will never end. You've raised Jesus from the dead, never to die again. We thank and praise you that the day is coming when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Until that day, Lord, will you help us to bow the knee to Jesus and boldly and faithfully live for him. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.